Hmm. Are you setting me? Should I have an announcement? Oh, oh. Um. I uh. I think tomorrow. Who's? There's a birthday tomorrow. I just read it. There's a player's birthday. Um. I should announce that. Um. I should announce that my wife went to the grocery store, which is exciting because I'm a big snack time guy. Um, then, uh, no, uh, outside of that, oh, I would like to announce that I'm very excited for practice, as you guys should be, because it's an opportunity for, um, for both sides of the ball to respond to things that they weren't happy with the previous day. Maybe he was referring to, like... Oh! <laughs> you know, whew. Mike McDaniel, coach of the Dolphins, completely different than anything we have ever seen, ever, in an NFL head coach, and it's awesome. He's himself. He doesn't pretend to be anyone other than who he is. He yeah. doesn't say, okay, now I'm a football coach. I need to act like one. Right. Just he's his self. And I know there's a certain element of adaptation that you need to have in any job that you hold, but still you need to be true to who you are. And Mike McDaniel is, and his press conferences this year will be entertaining, whether it's after a win or a loss, make it a little philosophical, get some midweek press conferences. And I have a feeling we're going to be playing a good bit of Mike McDaniel talking to the media this season, whether they thrive whether they fail or whether they end up somewhere in between, Christopher. I, I'm with you. It is refreshing. It is to see kind of a different approach. I do think like most of the NFL world is definitely wondering whether it will work, you know, because it is so outside the lines where, you know, this guy seems kind of nerdy and philosophical and, you know, eccentric. And you're right. It's, it's different from most NFL coaches. Like even there. I, I, you don't know. He's so he's so smart and eccentric, and his mind might be somewhere else. Where it's like, he might not really have known about the rotation. He really he might be the type that's you know so smart and caught in his own world that like forgot about that. Or I don't know if he's joking either. It can go either way, and uh, that's what is kind of kind of fun about it. But we'll see what that team looks like. That's that's at the end of the day going to be the ultimate test and how they react to his coaching and his ways. Plenty of talent for a team that has had a couple of good, not great seasons. Fires coach Brian Flores, clings to Tua Tonga-Vailoa, but brings in the likes of Tyreek Hill and Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds and Taron Armstead and kept the defensive coordinator with a defense that was very good last year and fueled that winning streak after they started so poorly. So there are some high expectations in Miami this year, and it all comes down to how Tua does not a big topic for us today though because the Dolphins don't play tonight we'll get you ready for the first night of week two of the preseason plus everything else that is making news in the National Football League on the program that we call Pro Football Talk Live here on Peacock Sirius XM 85 Sky Sports in the UK and in Ireland I've already gotten some warning emails from some folks across the pond that they're moving the time of the show for Thursday night and Friday night of this week as if I have any control over any of that. I appreciate you keeping me informed, but if it's going to be on at 7.30 instead of 7 or 8 or 8.30, whatever, I can't really do anything Well, you better get on that ASAP. 
You know, we appreciate CYA there. Figure it out. The good news. (laughs) The good news is that for the podcast, they're on whenever. All we have to do is upload the file. Some days that happens more quickly than others. But once the file's there, you can listen to it whenever. 7, 7, 30, 8, 8, 30, whatever time of the day you choose. Yes, a little CYA, a little ASAP, a little BFD, a little GFY, (laughs) a little DIY. Took me a long time to figure out what DIY meant. I thought I was missing something. Oh, it's just do it yourself. Like, oh, yeah. why don't you just say do it yourself? I don't know. Like, yeah, there are point, a few that are like, I'm like, come on, I, you know, I don't at, even know. What at that what means. point is the acronym right. more problematic than just saying <laughs> right? What it, like, just do it yourself. Yeah. All uh, right. Agreed. <laughs> so uh, here we are, and we're moving closer to week one. Twenty-one days away. Three weeks. We're almost. We're almost. Not quite. Almost. In countdown clock territory for Bills at Rams three weeks from tonight, September 8th. That's Sunday, three days later. Browns at the Panthers. And Chris, according to TheAthletic.com, Baker Mayfield is expected to be named the week one starting quarterback for the Panthers. Look, this is a no-brainer, but they did a decent job of at least making us stop and think. Yeah. Maybe there is a real competition. Maybe Sam Darnold can hold him off. Maybe the locker room continues to rally around Darnold without fully embracing Baker Mayfield. But the hay apparently is close to being in the barn. Just a matter of time before they tell us that Mayfield is the guy for week one. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think we all expected it to go this way. Um, it, it, it's there, There's just something about Baker Mayfield. First off, as we said at the time, there was just too many warning signs. The fact that they had gone through a full year with Sam Darnold, gone through OTAs, and we're still there. We were at the end of OTAs mini camp, and there was still the talk of the Baker Mayfield trade and all of that. I think that all led us to believe that they obviously weren't thrilled with Sam Darnold. And then I think when you kick into gear, really from the second that like Baker Mayfield got there with all the guys on the team are talking about his personality and how he jokes around and talks crap. And, and I, I think he gives the offense a, a little bit of a life that Sam Darnold doesn't bring to the table. And I, and I think they're for a young team. They probably need a guy like that. You know, you really think about the Panthers. Who is their, their guy? Who is the guy that kind of fires up the troops? You know, it doesn't always have to be the quarterback, but if it's not the quarterback, then you need a guy like Steve Smith who used to play receiver there. You know, somebody like that that can light the fire underneath the offense. And I think Baker Mayfield fills that void. And then also, you know, I think at the end of the day, he's just a better player than Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold has some skills. I'm not giving up on him for, for his career as being a starting quarterback. But you know, there's in the pocket, it, it was the number one issue coming out of USC. He was great at backyard football. But in the NFL, it's hard to play backyard football unless you're a really special athlete. And I don't think he's quite special enough to pull that off. And then, no, right, let's come down to how, who can work in the pocket and make big throws. And that's where Baker Mayfield, I think, has a, a big advantage over Sam Darnold. And the moment the trade happened, we all thought, okay, right. they went to get Mayfield because they're not happy with the options that they have. Why else would you make this move for Mayfield? And that's when some evidence started to pile up that, hey, maybe this is just a business transaction, a distressed asset, as owner David Tepper 
would call it where you get Baker Mayfield for the mere investment of $5 million with another $3 million or so in incentives available to get the full $3 million. Plus, they have to actually get to the Super Bowl and win it, which would be money well spent by David Tepper. They give up a fifth-round pick that could become a fourth-round pick. And Jake DeLome, former Panthers quarterback, best known for saying to Chris Sims after that game in September 2006, you don't look so good. <laughs> Jake DeLome, Jake DeLome says back in July that, Darnold has the upper hand, and that's when people started thinking, well, maybe, maybe there, there is going to be a competition here. And then there was. See, that's the one thing well, that yeah. I have concerns about. That Now, they made him earn it, right. and that's good, but he didn't get the chance to become as ensconced as he would have been if he was just taking all the first-team reps for all the training camp. Yeah, I, I, that, it doesn't concern me, but I hear what you're saying. I mean, yeah, you'd love him for, to be there just, you know – in cement, you're the first team quarterback, boom, and we can go on from there. But I, I think it goes back to stuff that we talk about a lot, and you just brought it up. You're right. they gotta, they got to earn it. You know, again, Sam Darnold's no slappy. There are things to like about his physical ability. So, you know, you got to let the locker room kind of see that and play out. And I think Jake Delhomme, I remember when those comments came out too, it just was more about the offense. But, you know, the offense, he had the head start. But, but what did we hear really about, what, 10 days into camp? how impressed the coaches were with how quickly Baker Mayfield was picking up the offense and obviously was closing the gap in a hurry. So with, with that team, you know, got a new left tackle and, uh, you know, uh, Iki Aquanu, who I'm excited about. But, man, Mike, you and I know they got some, they got some firepower. And Baker Mayfield's the guy to me that can sit in the pocket and wheel and deal with these guys. You know, DJ Moore is a top five-ish type of receiver. He's super, super talented. We've talked about Robbie Anderson. He can fly and scare a defense. And now, if you can keep Christian McCaffrey healthy out of the backfield, you know, I, I think Ben McAdoo, he's got enough tools in his toolbox there on the offensive side of the ball to utilize all these guys. He just needs a guy that will stand in there and make the right throws and make the right reads. And I think that's where, you know, Baker Mayfield comes into play big time here. And perhaps the best news is they've managed to figure this out without resorting to, as offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo recently said, cannibalism. Yeah. So right. no one was gnawing on anyone's leg or anything along those lines. And it was a very civil quarterback competition. That's something that Darren Gant of Panthers.com, formerly of PFT, pointed out. They got along. Maybe that was the first test for Baker Mayfield. Let's see if he's ready to act like a grown-up. Yeah. Let's see how right. he handles not being handed the job. And the message is you're not entitled to anything here. And that's where it becomes interesting, Chris. All right, we know week one, Browns, Panthers, Baker Mayfield, which makes sense. It's the Browns. Good Lord. That's the one game that he needs to start. But whether he holds the job depends on his performance, yep. depends on his health. Because I think in Carolina, where everybody's on the hot seat, even though they try to say they're not, they are. They're not going to let Baker Mayfield play with a bad shoulder no. or a bad anything if they've got Darnold at 100%. They're not going to do it. In Cleveland, he was kind of able to bully his way into staying on the field. And he had that attitude. And it wasn't even bullying. It's like, you know, he's going to be – he's already a pain in the ass. He's going to be 100 times worse if we make him sit while the injured, non-throwing shoulder heals. Let's just let him keep playing even though they would have been better off for more than just the Thursday night when he didn't play against right. the Broncos right. and they and they won, they'd have been better off full season if he would have healed it up and they'd gone with Case Keenum. 
And Carolina, the instant that he's banged up, the instant that he's not getting it done, it's Sam Darnold time because Matt Rule is going to be out if yeah. this team doesn't do something better than what we've seen the past two years. Yeah, exactly right. And and I think the team is it's kind of there. Uh, you know, again, I, I know we've hit on this a little bit, but man, there's a lot to like about their football team across the board. The offensive line and the quarterback play are the only thing, in my opinion, that has been the Matt Rule, you know, crutch here. Uh, and, and really the offensive coordinator last year with Joe Brady. But I think Ben McAdoo is certainly a big-time upgrade from that. And now, hopefully the quarterback, you know, can, can, can add that, you know, extra few wins to their football team or at least give them the confidence and they can get some mojo going as a football team where they can get on a roll like we saw them early in the year last year before it started to fall apart. But I think you're, you're spot on. He was brought in not only to like, hey, we hope he's the starter, but even if he doesn't win the job, it was their insurance policy either way. They weren't going to, you know, just let Sam Darnold and depend on him and just go, well, we hope it's better. So uh, Baker Mayfield, I think, did everything that they wanted him to do as far as taking over. And it seems like he took over the reins of the football team. I mean, there just seems like there's comments out of there every day about his leadership and the way he kind of talks to the players and how he is in the locker room. And then, you know, Mike, I'll, I'll say this because, you know, I'm a nerd and I'm sitting at home and watching film and have the NFL network on while I'm doing it. I did see Baker Mayfield mic'd up for, for some practices down there in Carolina. He was civil. You could tell there was stretching. He's talking to Sam Darnold. They're talking about things they like for the football team and what they're doing on the offensive side of the ball. I think so. Hopefully he's learned from his mistakes and matured and realizes, you know, he can't be, you know, so cutthroat or or maybe, you know, I don't for lack of a better way to say it, you know, the the diva first pick of the draft quarterback type of guy attitude anymore. He's got to ditch that. He's going to have to earn it and, you know, get back with the, the lunch pail and, and show everybody how talented he is. But um, hopefully he's turned the page on that and, and won't have some of those waves that we saw in Cleveland. Speaking of TV, and there is a link to Baker Mayfield because I spent weeks in the offseason trying to speak Baker Mayfield to the Lions into existence. Did you watch? Oh, yeah, baby. I did. It was a good knocks. one, too. I mean, it was I, – I, I'm loving, liking the show. I think it's the best hard knocks in years. It is. I, because because of the coaches, like I told 2019 you, was pretty good. Who was, 2019 who was, was pretty that? Good, thanks well, to Antonio Brown. Oh, the ongoing and endless Antonio Brown drama. Well, you're right. That was that was pretty good. I mean, Mister Freezer feet and everything, helmet and everything. That you're right. That was that was pretty tough to beat. I mean, yeah, when he's when he's at camp and his son's like, you know, where's Roethlisberger? And they're, you know, they're on another team with, with the with the Raiders emblem. He's not our quarterback anymore. There were some great sound bites. You're right. But I do find this refreshing. It is. It's a different way as far as it's a team that's unproven and trying to, you know, put a culture together there that's hasn't been there in a long time. And Dan Campbell and those coaches are taking a different approach. So I did watch it. Eat it, Florio. I did. I did too. Good. I did too. And one thing did I you like it? I did not know. Yeah. Amon Ross St. Brown's dad is a two-time Mr. Universe that was and cool, denies right? him water while he's working out. <laughs> it, these are the days of Bear Bryant are over, Dad. <laughs> you got to hydrate. In the same episode, you've got Dan Campbell harping on the guys to hydrate. You've got Amon Ross St. Brown's dad while they're lifting at the gym. That was good. Saying, what, what happened to drinking your spit, basically? And I think he, he said that. Yeah. And then he so. jumped on Kevin Durant. You know what Kevin Durant tore his Achilles? Has he ever done a calf raise? <laughs> I, me and my wife were laughing when we watched that. That was that was a great part. But yeah, I mean, 
hey, it shows you hard work, dedication. Look what they're look what those kids are. I know they got great DNA to go along with it, but obviously have a, a professional approach and how they attack it. And uh, man, Amon Ra is he not jacked and ripped like a Greek god? I mean, wow, what a body! And he can rattle off the name of every oh, he's receiver pissed. drafted in front of him. <laughs> he's he, pissed. he is not happy. He fell as far as he did, and he had a great year. He set the Lions' rookie record for receptions and once upon a time they had a rookie receiver named calvin johnson so pretty impressive showing in year one from amon ross st brown pretty impressive showing in year two for joe burrow the quarterback of the cincinnati Bengals. he's back at practice getting ready for week one fully participating here he is talking about his appendectomy which unexpectedly popped up a few weeks back it wasn't the normal appendicitis as you hear about I didn't really feel much just was getting checked out and had some discomfort and so we thought we'd get it checked out uh, turns out I had it so we had to get it get it fixed um, not not ideal timing obviously but I'm glad we got to happen now and not halfway through the year how challenging will it be to be ramped up to where you feel like you want to be by week one or do you feel like that's very much in play or something that's going to be a challenge to no, I think I think it'll be okay I think you know, we have a good plan as far as, you know, nutrition and weight room and rehab and all that good stuff. So I'm feeling really good right now, and I'm just going to keep feeling better. How much weight did you lose? Did you lose? <laughs> I'll keep that to myself. <laughs> he is looking smaller than he was because he was looking kind of jacked. And yeah. you have an incident like that where the appendix actually burst. That's what's amazing to me, that he got to the point where it burst, and he wasn't in – like pain or incredible pain yeah Yeah, just some discomfort because when I first heard that the thing burst I started doing the math back to when he showed up for camp it's like this guy went through his his entry physical for the 2022 season with active appendicitis and the doctors didn't know maybe the Nick Riviera theory is accurate but (laughs) apparently he wasn't he wasn't in any pain or at least not enough pain for it to be an issue until the thing burst so the good news is everything was fine but it's it's a more detailed procedure because you got to clean up on aisle five when the a- appendix actually bursts. It's not just snip it out and and, and pull it out. It's yeah. you, you got you got some you got some spilled appendix in there that you got to clean up. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's not it, and for for you know it's it's actually a, a very pain in the butt type of injury for a quarterback like you discussed you know last week or two weeks ago, the torquing the twisting. I mean, that's right in the, the sweet spot of where that scar and, you know, where the appendix was or used to be. So th- that is tough for a quarterback. And noticeably, I mean, he does look like just right there, he definitely put weight back on compared to what we saw, you know, when he was first getting out on the practice field, walking around, doing that. So he's, he's on the right track. I'm, I'm not concerned. I mean, but I, I bet you, you know, Joe, getting to see him in person, he's kind of like, Mike, I, I would guess – 220-ish, but kind of ripped, and, you know, there's not a lot of extra fat on there. I mean, there's not. He's very into his diet, and he was very – I mean, we, we ate lunch the day I was there. He was very regimented in what he was eating. There was a plan there. So putting weight back on for a guy like that is not always easy. But the good thing is is it's three weeks away, and that's plenty of time. And the fact that he's out there now already, and it seems like he's full go – uh, he'll be the Joe Burrow we know and love when, when week one comes around. I don't really doubt that. 
You know, I've been alive for 57 years, and I never had anyone say to me, you need to gain 10 pounds. You're, you're, you know, like, you right now, go gain. Like, uh, wouldn't that be great, a license to just pig out? Yeah, I'd, well, I've, I've had that it before. That would be awesome. I've had I would it. Eat like, I would eat, like, two whole pizzas in 10 <clears throat> minutes. I used to, I used to, before training camp, <clears throat> just go all out. Because, especially in Tampa, Back in those days, if you remember, we, we did training camp at the wild, wide world of sports and Disney World where it rivaled hell as far as how hot it was. And you knew the, the swamp ass. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It was just going to melt off you. <clears throat> but my wife, you know, she would she would enjoy it because, I mean, I mean, who cares how much butter you put on the bread? She just loaded on everything. It didn't matter. Like you're talking about, I'd be eating four pieces of pizza at 930 at night, you know, and then a, a, you know, a BLT and I'd go into camp sometimes. Wait, what does BLT mean? Uh, bacon. We lettuce. need to make sure our folks, we need to make sure that. Well, I'm actually we just a BL guy. I don't do teas. I don't do the teas with bacon we, and lettuce, bacon and lettuce. All right. <laughs> What's your problem with the tea? What's your problem? With I don't tomato? like tomatoes. I'm just not down with them. They're, they What's your theory? You got a theory for eggs. What's your theory for tomatoes? That, they just don't taste good to me. So I just, okay. they All ruin, right. they ruin the damn food. That's why I don't mess with them. So, but, but I used to enjoy that. So I did have that green light, but I would get the training camp and they'd be like, <clears throat> they'd always go. Well, you're a little overweight. And I'd be like, no, I'm not. I'm in extremely good shape. If you want to go do the running test right now, I'm going to kill it. I just I put on a few extra pounds here because I know it's going to melt off me here with two-a-days. And, you know, back in those days too, Mike, back in my day, it was two-a-days every day. We would go two-a-days, 12, 14 straight days in a row, and you'd lose eight, nine pounds through that process. So it was fun to get that green light. Bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich for anyone who does not know. We're now compelled to identify every <laughs> acronym that we use just in case anyone watching in the U.K. or the, in Ireland. The U.K., must confused. they must be like, these idiots, don't they now, know we invented if, the damn language, you, you freaking idiots from America? <laughs> trading places, you know what a BLT is. All right, and, and look, it's extra important for Joe Burrow to be ready to go because week one, there's no cupcakes in yeah. the NFL. Week one, the Steelers and TJ Watt are coming to town. So Joe Burrow needs to be good to go. Once week 18 concludes, he technically is eligible for his second contract. By rule, completion of the third regular season for any drafted player opens the window for deal number two. Here is Joe Burrow, who undoubtedly will get a massive contract. They sold the naming rights to the stadium to help finance the contract, something the Bengals had never before done. Here's Burrow talking about his next deal. You know, it doesn't mean anything if I go out and, and stink it up all year. So I'm, I'm approaching this season the same way I've approached every season in the past, working really hard all off season, having a setback and having to come back from it. So I'm, I'm focused on this year and, and winning as many games as we can. That's the right thing to say. Because he does have a football season to play until he's eligible for that second contract. But one thing I have gleaned about Joe Burrow, he is very smart about the business side of it, very sensitive to the business side of it, and will be, I think, at the appropriate time, ready to get 
the money that he believes that he deserves, that he has earned, that he should receive to serve as a franchise-altering franchise quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Bengals already know it because they're already planning for it. They know what they have to do with him. They know what they have to do with Jamar Chase, who's just one year behind Burrow in the new contract category, Chris. Yeah, uh, this is um, no-brainer. This is, right, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes territory, right? It's after year three, we already know he's the guy. I mean, there's not many out there made like this guy. He's special. He's Chris Sims' top five quarterback, in my opinion. I mean, he can do it all. He's, he's you know, he really is. He's the natural, as we talked about when he was coming out in the draft. He just got a feel for the game that is, you know, very instinctive as far as, oh, you know, hey, I can be surgical and accurate and pick you apart with my brain and my accuracy. And then, oh, wait, I got great feel of, oh, here's a lane, let me run, or this right here, because I call him, the, you know, the slippery son of a bitch. He's, the, he's as slippery as they get for a guy that doesn't run 4-5 and, and have crazy speed. And then can make all those plays, you know, off, off schedule where he gets outside the pocket and throws a big pass down the field to Jamar Chase or T. Higgins, like we saw in the Super Bowl. You know, move to the right, kind of gets out of the pocket, throws to T. Higgins, 60 yards to the left, touchdown. He's, he's rare in my opinion. And then you talk about the leadership and the professionalism and, you know, a maturity that you don't see at that age a whole lot. Um, uh, you know, he's he, to me, will be in that category of next guy up who gets the highest contract and I think that's one you you get it out of the way right after this year's over so you can start planning for the future and figure out how you want to you know orchestrate and plan this team around him for a lot of years to come and I continue to believe there's a possibility he gets a deal that pays him a percentage of the salary cap I've heard nothing to support that I'm just reading tea leaves I'm applying 21 years of experience running PFT to the trends that we see. And this percentage of the salary cap thing has been hanging out there, and there's a certain business appeal to it. There's a cost certainty, at least as it relates to each dollar that you have available under the salary cap, knowing that $0.17, cents, $0.18, whatever the specific number is, 17.3459, is going to end up being paid to your quarterback year in and year out. And he also could be the first one to sign that contract in the period between end of regular season and start of postseason because it's permissible. A lot of people don't even know that it is. A lot of agents don't know that it is. It's in the CBA written that way. One of these days, there's going to be a player because it's all about shifting the injury risk yeah. to the team. Right. You shift the injury risk to the team as early as you possibly can. And for a player who finishes year three regular season, that's the moment that you can shift the injury risk to the team and get your contract and move on. And it will be a significant amount of money. It will have bells and whistles that other deals haven't had. And I think the timing quite possibly, Chris, will be the Monday or the Tuesday after the regular season ends if the Bengals once again make it to the playoffs. And it isn't a no-brainer. It is a competition. He does have to play well, but... It, you know, look, I, I like the self-deprecating even if I stink. But even if he stinks, I think they're still going to dig deep in the couch cushions and pay the guy. They want to keep him there. They're willing to say, this year's an aberration. We're still going to pay you. Right. Yeah, there's no guarantee that they can replicate what they did last year. And we know that. The AFC stacked. They're in a tough division with some good defenses and studs all around. So, 
Yes, but I mean, when I when I just think of them and look at them and evaluate them, you, they've improved their team from last year. And then I also just go, I think it's a huge confidence booster just for a young team to go, wait, we can do this. We can go in any anybody's house and play with anybody here. We're, we're the real deal. So there's the battle-tested element of that. You know, they're, they're young. They got a lot to they – got, they got a lot of players across the board. So even if they had a down year, I feel like it would be like, oh, they just missed out on the playoffs. I feel like that's about as bad as it could get. And, you know, I, I don't know. There, there's, this is one, Mike – I'm, I'm going to go off script here just for a second because I, I always wonder this. Like, I don't like that rule that you got to wait for year three and all of that. I don't. You know, again, it's, it's, this is one where it's like I wonder if it even hurts the teams at times. Like, like people like Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, you know, we, we, we know what they are. Is it so bad that after year two they get a new contract? I, I, don't, I sometimes wonder with those type of players, maybe the team would like it. Like if Jamar, if Joe Burrow, they threw out a big chunk of money to him right now and said, here, you know, here it is, would he not take it? I don't know. I mean, of course we know there's the injury risk like you talked about. And it's about getting back to the table another time or two, too. To where it's just an interesting topic to me. I didn't mean to go down that down that road. It's there. fine because look, look. Yeah. I still have a hard time reconciling what happened in 2011 in the run up to the lockout. One of the big beefs that ownership had, and it found some appeal with the rank and file. The idea that you've got a rookie compensation system that had gone out of whack at the top of the draft. That's right. So you had millions. I we still haven't caught up. Eleven years later with the number one overall pick making what the number all one overall pick used to make. Sam Bradford was Not the even last close, of, right? the, of the pre-2011. No, it was like he got like 50, 70, 60 million guaranteed. Yeah. It was ridiculous. It right. was obscene. And, and, that's, and, and the theory was, and I remember interviewing the commissioner in 2010-ish for the one and only PFT preseason magazine, way much – more work than that thing was worth. Although I still have the cover of it framed down in my office for some reason. Next 11, to uh, 12 years quarterback later. of the future. Well done. But <laughs> but I, when I interviewed the commissioner then, I pressed him as, as tactfully as I could on the idea that, okay, you don't want these guys who don't deserve it to walk away with all this cash. But what about the guys who aren't the busts? Yeah. Right. You're, ke- you're keeping the Ryan you know. Leaf and Jamarcus Russell from absconding with all these right. millions that otherwise could go to veteran players, but you're also picking the pockets of the guys who aren't yes. crap, right. who come in and earn it. So how do we guarantee that they're going to get with that? Well, I, I trust the process and the teams will do the right thing. Meanwhile, Chris, yeah. in that same deal, they changed the waiting period from two years to three. Yeah, that's right. I so forgot about that. So if you're really serious right. about letting – the teams take care of the players. Why in the hell did you slip that one through the union's five hole, keep it at two years and let those guys get rewarded? The guys who within two years have proven they're not Ryan Leaf and they're not Jamarcus Russell. So yeah. anyway, I join you off script okay. yeah. and say it's a load of crap. It is. These guys after two years should get paid if we see that they stand out above the guys who – get drafted, and we know it's a 50-50 proposition. Well, okay, the 50 who stink aren't taking a lot of money out of the system. The 50 who don't should get more money sooner than later. Yeah, that, that's all I'm saying. I mean, when you know, you know, and this is one you know. I mean, it just smacks you in the face. It's like Randy Moss in Minnesota to start. It just, you, you know, you just go, whoa. 
You know, he's, he's, they're one of the best at their positions right now. And, and in a lot of ways, I just wonder if it would help the teams. You know, I, and again, I haven't thought about it real deeply, but I do wonder if it would help the teams because you, know, you, you get a guy who's been a star in two years and, you know, he'll, hey, oh, whoa, whoa, you're going to dangle that out there for me? Okay, and oh, I'll take it. All right, right now. And maybe he's not, you know, holding the organization's feet over the fire uh, for, for top dollar or whatever that way. Just because, oh, whoa, whoa, you're ready to give me money right now. I'll take it, and we'll get back to the, you know, the drawing board three, four years from now. I don't know. Uh, and and we, we, we've seen that dynamic happen in the past. You have to be willing to come back to the table. But, yeah, I think you could sign a guy for less now than you would after this year. He's, he's, he's shifting the injury risk after two years instead of after three. Yeah. All right, uh, a, a guy who is currently the highest-paid player in the NFL at a new money average in excess of $50 million per year. Made a little buzz earlier this week, not just with his Nick Cage bust, which, by the way, I found what I think is the same one on Etsy for 88 bucks. I may have to buy it. <laughs> I'm surprised that somebody spent that kind of money just to send something to Aaron Rodgers. But, hey, money well spent. He, he displayed it in That's his locker. That's kind of Regardless. creepy, Mike. That's one of those you put in your barn. And I think the eyes are going to look like they're looking at you all the time. I, I wouldn't. I would not do that. I don't know. That, that's weird to me. Don't do well, it. Man. Well, well. Well, the thing is, see, I don't use any substances that induce paranoia, so I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Neither do I right now. <laughs> well, yeah. eventually for, you will. For two more hey, weeks <laughs> or ten more days. When's your birthday? When's your birthday? August 29th. Just enough time to have Nick Cage's bus delivered to <laughs> Please your don't. residence. You <laughs> don't waste your money your on that one. With your horses and your chickens <laughs> and your African geese. Anyway. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, beyond displaying the bust of Nick Cage in that media availability, had some concerns about the younger receivers not catching the ball, which really is the main job of being a pass receiver. You're not a pass dropper. Anyway, the young receivers met with Rodgers after the criticism. They met with all three quarterbacks and members of the coaching staff. Rodgers didn't call the meeting, but he spoke extensively during it. Rodgers said the Packers receivers have got to be way more consistent. And I like that. Look, that. Hey, I, I prefer that that's and, – and maybe Rodgers has learned you got to be a squeaky wheel sometimes. And maybe he's learned that if I try to work this through the internal channels and try to maybe get a meeting and, oh, yeah, we have to, we, we, we're sorry, we got too much going on. We got too much going on. Look at, look at the list of things we got to do today. We can't have time for that. And then he says it publicly, and then all of a sudden there's time to have a meeting with the young receivers and right. impress upon them the importance of doing what they have to do. So – I think he's been there long enough to know what it takes to get things done. And I think he had a feeling that if he said something publicly, it would work. And, Chris, it sounds like it got the attention of the people it needed to get the attention of. Right. That's where I disagreed with people like, you know, oh, he's throwing them under the bus. He wasn't throwing anybody under the bus. He was speaking factual. I, I, that, that is one where I don't mind what he did there I, at all. You know, the writing's on the wall. Yeah, they're young guys. They're inexperienced. They have a team that's Super Bowl-ish. And that is the biggest question mark of all. And what puts more pressure on it or makes it real than him standing in front of the camera? And, you know, it's not passive aggressive. It's just straight up aggressive. Like, it's, hey, we got to get better. We got we to gotta get on the same page. Guys got to catch the ball. Guys got to run the routes the right way. And, you know, he addresses the situation head on. And then obviously not afraid to, like, look at those guys in the eyes in the locker room and, and have conversations with them. I think this is, you know, again, I don't look at this as like a bad thing. I look at it as like what a leader has to do sometimes. 
Sometimes you hear coaches talk about position groups or things that got to be better. You know, Aaron Rodgers has earned the right to do that. He has, and I have no issue with that. I think it was probably a necessity. He got to a point, I think, where he probably thought it was a necessity. Like, whoa, it's been too many days now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put something on this here a little bit, put a little more pressure on these guys, get them to realize that, like, you know, you think you're working hard. You know, that's something I learned in my career, too. We had this offensive line coach, Bill Muir, and, damn, I thought I was working hard. And I'd go during, you know, being during stretch and stuff, and he'd come at me, you got to do more. And I'd be like, I would want to look at him and be like, hey, you know, F you. I don't know. I'm doing a lot here. But, but I knew what he meant. You know, the level of expectation, you know, really good football team, all of that, it's got to be more. And I think these guys come from college, and they're like, hey, I'm working hard, and I'm going to, you know, practice, and we're working hard. But what Rodgers is saying is, no, like Devontae Adams was here. He, I wish he was here because he would show you what working hard is. It's all day. It's every day. It's obsession. And I think he's trying to get that group to that point. And again, my general preference is that these things aren't taken public. But but if you want to get your message across, this is this is just part of existence in the Green Bay Packer organization. Remember three years ago yes. what he had to do with the whole audible thing. He engineered a way for it to become a thing in order to get what he wanted to get, which he knew he wasn't going to get if he just worked the normal channels. Sometimes... You need to have a little bit of a dust-up in order to get things accomplished because you get so caught up in everything else you're doing. As a coaching staff, as a front office staff, the players are focused on certain things that other things can get lost in the shuffle unless somebody sounds the alarm. And that's his way of breaking glass in event of emergency. You say something publicly, and then it happens. Yeah. Here's more proof. Here's more yeah. proof that it worked. Matt LaFleur head coach of the team, talking about what Rodgers had to say and the young receivers who need to respond accordingly. Where's your confidence level in the young receivers right now? Because Aaron's didn't seem to be all that high yesterday. Well, I think it's more the some of the silly mistakes that uh, we need to get cleaned up and just like something as simple as checking with the official before the snap to make sure that we, we are eligible. Um, but, yeah, I, I think – there's going to be growing pains, particularly with, with younger players. Um, and the thing is, and, and I appreciate this about Aaron, it's just the urgency to get some of this stuff corrected. I mean, you can't make the same mistake twice, not in this league. We don't have time for it. And um, that, that's just enough time to get you beat. So certainly he's, he's the ultimate competitor. Um, and, you know, I think it's good for these guys to, to feel that. Because we got to make sure that they continue to show progress each and every day, and um, you know it'll be a good opportunity today to see how these young guys respond. They picked up Travis Fulgham on waivers yesterday from the Denver yeah, Broncos, right. a guy who who flashed for a little bit in Philadelphia yep. a few years back. What's what's your overall confidence level right now with this group of receivers, knowing that they open in Minnesota in 24 days? It's low. I mean, it's very low. That's why I think you know there's the urgency there. I mean, again, what do what, what we what do we what are we writing home about? Sammy Watkins? I mean, okay, that that ship sailed and gone. It's he's okay. Randall Cobb? Whoa, holy crap! Whoa, I'm I'm shaking in my boots if I'm a defensive coordinator. You know, Alan Lazard, good player, no doubt, but not the kind of guy that's going to change a defensive game plan. 
and then a bunch of young rookies that you know are you know don't know their ass from their elbow at this point still. So that's why he's he's trying to you know light a fire here. And and again, I, I just I, to me this it, why, they're two their most talented receivers are the two guys at the bottom, Watson and D- Dubs or Dobbs. I always mess his names up. Those are the they're the two the two most talented guys. So I think that just says it all. And you know, hey, I always compare or try to like show people, hey, the the, the great generals of quarterbacking in our lifetime, Peyton Manning, right? You think Peyton Manning would settle for some of this crap? Hey, oh, you, you messed up again. Get just get him out. Get him out. You know, get his ass out of here. All right. You know, Tom Brady, you think he's going to deal with that? Listen, we heard this in 2019, right? Brady, the, the, those, the, the, the receivers couldn't play because they felt like Brady didn't like them. And it was, I don't know if Brady ever really addressed it or called it out in the media or did that. He just kind of had an attitude like, you guys got to be better. And remember, we heard about young receivers who were basically like shaking in their boots because they felt like they could never please him that way. All right, so, you know, again, it's, this is not easy. People like to pile on Aaron Rodgers a little too much sometimes, and I, I just don't agree with it. And then, you know, you bring it back to, like, what you said. There's no owners there. That's a big thing, right? They can never get the big free agent. Odell Beckham Jr. Has, all these players have wanted to go play with Aaron Rodgers, but they never have salary cap room. They don't have an owner that can make that big move or decision to say, do this. So Aaron Rodgers is put in this position more than the regular big-time franchise quarterback, as we were kind of discussing yesterday. That's where I'll defend him. I know he's not perfect, and he's been a pain in the ass every now and then. But, damn, it's a little different up there in Green Bay compared to some of the other top organizations that quarterbacks and the top quarterbacks in history have been involved in. Well, hey, at least he hasn't disappeared for 10 days in the middle of training. Well, you're right. Oh, yeah, but that's okay because that's, you know, that's Tom Brady. Could you imagine? That's what I mean. It's just it's a double standard, and I I don't always like that, and that's where I get angered about it. You're right. It just disappeared, but it's okay. And and if you had told me before the season, before camp opened, that one of those two guys, Rodgers or Brady, would just take a 10-day break in the middle of camp, I would have put my money on Rodgers. I would have. <laughs> yeah, I and, hear and you. We would have I, I hear killed you. him for it. Right. We would have killed him for it. But we tiptoe on eggshells around Tom Brady because he's Tom Brady. That's all and I'm I understand saying. that yeah. that he he has earned a certain amount of right. And of, I'm yeah ability, cachet, to, whatever. If, right. Yeah, but still, it really is. It really is unprecedented, and we really would be losing our minds if it were Aaron Rodgers. But uh, he's there. He's working to get ready. Hey, you know what? 31-3 to loss to the Saints in Jacksonville last year because the game got moved due to a hurricane that was due to hit New Orleans. That may be something that helps get the Packers ready to go week one this year because right. they know they weren't ready for that game last year, and they got a division opponent. They got a game that counts two ways in the standings, overall and division record, which becomes – the primary head-to-head difference maker if you split the regular season series. And the best they hope for is a split if they would lose that game in Minnesota. So they got every reason to get their act together as they get ready for the first game of the season coming up again in just 24 days. And 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 I don't rule out a move. I don't know. I, I know. I shouldn't rule out a move. But right. with them, I do. They could have gotten in the mix for Julio Jones, and they didn't. They could have gotten it. Well, we, we know about OBJ last year. I feel like they, they do never just can. enough right. to make Aaron Rodgers think they're trying when they're really not. That's right. I, that, that, and, and, and I've heard this from tons of players. I mean, even Stephon Gilmore, he, 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 was, he wanted to go to Green Bay last year from everything I'm told. But they didn't have the money to pay him. 
You know, so he's had these guys again where you know they want to go there and join forces, but you know the organization doesn't balance the checkbook quite as maybe as well as some other teams. And I, and again, I go back to the owner thing too, where they've just never had the owner to go. Wait, we got this you know gemstone here, this unbelievable quarterback, and they've never really pushed it all in. I'll put push the pile all in around him. I mean, I mean, even compared to some of the young quarterbacks we got right now in football, they've already had the pile pushed in more than Aaron Rodgers had in his career. So that's where I defend him, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't feel like people are always fair to him that way. And that willingness to push the pile in is one of the ingredients in, in getting the payoff because somebody's going to push the pile in, and it's going to work, and they're going to win the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, now Matt Stafford, he's it. won as many Super Bowls as Aaron Rodgers, right? And uh, you hear that, right? And I'm just like, okay, great. Yeah, that's right. But, man, he's Aaron Rodgers never had that group of receivers that Matt Stafford and he had. The, and he entered the league four years after Aaron Rodgers. Right. He's won as many Super yes. Bowls as Aaron Rodgers. Right. So that's that's so there's that. Yeah, I know. And, then, you know, people pile on that way. But I could come up with a lot of different examples of that as well, too. So that's that's not always fair. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. We talked earlier about contracts and guys getting paid. A guy who plays safety, although he's been banged up throughout much of his career, has gotten a major contract. Derwin James, paid by the Chargers. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues right after this. I don't look at Derwin as a safety. I look at Derwin as an impact player. I think the reason why, like, if you were just looking at him as safety, that wouldn't be doing Derwin justice. You know, for me, I look at him as a defensive back. Like, when I see him, I'm like, that's a defensive back because he can play anywhere. He can play either safety spot. He can play corner. He can play star or money. He can rush the quarterback and make an impact as a blitzer. He can make an impact in man-to-man coverage, and then he can make an impact in zone defense, whether he's playing low or high. And he's our signal caller and the heartbeat of our defense. And so if you just looked at him as a safety, playing safety, you wouldn't look at him as the same way as you do as a defensive back. And I think he has all those, he has the rare combination of all those factors plus the intangibles of impacting the defense and the team every snap from an intangible standpoint. Two important observations from what Brandon Staley said, coach of the Chargers on Tuesday, a couple of days before or a day before Derwin James got paid. Number one, I see why Kyle Shanahan hates the new hats. Number two, number two, uh, you don't say things like that until you have a pretty good idea that you have a deal in place, and maybe they did on Tuesday, because that just loads up the cannon for higher expectations. Now, it's quite possible they had a deal in principle, they were getting close to a deal, because by Wednesday morning we heard about Derwin James reportedly signing a four-year, $76.4 million extension after holding in highest-paid safety in league history, although safeties hadn't been getting paid maybe what they deserve. When you have a guy who is an impact player, who is a great defensive back, that's how you get beyond the boundaries of the position you play and start making huge money. Yeah, he's, he's phenomenal. I mean, he's a superstar. He's worthy of being that next guy up. He's the guy really everybody in football is trying to find. You know, him, the Minka Fitzpatricks of the world where, yeah, they can do a lot of different things for your defense. So it's hard to game plan where they're going to use him, and he can match up and do this. He hits like a linebacker but, you know, can cover like a top-end corner and then has unreal leadership skills, you know, tackling ability, everything. He's got everything in his game. He does. 
So I, I understand them paying him without a doubt. In, in the modern day NFL, where yes, it's more pass heavy and the quarterback scramble and all that, he's a special, special entity. But at the same time, I will say this is risky a little bit to me, a little bit, just because of, there's a real injury history here with Derwin James, and that would scare me. So, like the the guy, the player is amazing. But if I put myself in the shoes of the team and the organization, I go, whoa, whoa, that, that, that you know, hey, this is a guy that played five out of thirty-two games in a two-year period until last year, and then even after this year, had a had a shoulder surgery right after the Pro Bowl. And again, I'm just I'm giving the side of the organization there. I love the player; he's a stud, and he's got a a fight in him and a, a leadership about him that I know is very special that they like. But I will say that, um, you know, it's it is risky because of the, the injury history and how aggressive he plays the position. You know, it's funny. I pulled up his his stat page at ProFootballReference.com, and I kind of did double take because, like, wait a minute, he. He started 16 games, then he he played five, and then he played 15. Well, I they left the year away. the year yeah, out, the, right? The year that he didn't play at all is they gone. They do that at pro. Yeah, I know. I've noticed yeah. that. It's 2020 me is gone. Right? Didn't play. Right? Didn't play. So right. you're right. He's got that injury history. It's a lot of money to pay for a guy, and it's important for him. Now, now look, this is the David Bakhtiari, Christian McCaffrey reality, because when it happens that a guy gets injured and can't play but is making all that money, the fans get mad at the player. No, 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 no. The player did what he had to do. The player pushed the injury risk to the team. And, yes, it creates a problem for the team. You know, you talk about how the Packers can't afford this receiver, can't afford that receiver. When you got a $20 million per year tackle who isn't playing and who hasn't played and who knows when he's going to play again, and he shifted the injury risk during the 2020 season to the Packers. Remember, we had that torn ACL suffered in practice right before the start of the playoffs. Right. That's why you push the injury risk to the team. Christian McCaffrey, oh, he hasn't done anything since he got paid. Well, he's gotten injured. He plays a position that is conducive to a lot of injuries. And so does Derwin James. The way he plays, he's potentially going to get injured, but the team knows the value of what he can do when he's healthy, and they took the injury risk, and that's why he got the deal. So don't get mad at him if he gets injured. But that's the thing. And this is where the balance becomes tricky. Uh-huh. You get a guy who's never been injured, you take the injury risk. You got a guy that's been injured a few times, you take that injury risk a little more reluctantly. Right. But the, but what was the Chargers option? I, that's right. There was no options. That, that that's where it was, it was a tough one. I was going to I was interested to see how they were going to balance what you're talking about there. And again, they got some big name, high paid players on their football team. And Justin Herbert, he could be one of those guys we just talked about with Joe Burrow, where you go, uh, they might need to pay him, you know, top market money at the end of this year as well. So that's where it's risky. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for the guy. The guy's the man, and he is definitely one of the best safeties in football. But he's a he's a car crash secondary player. He is. And that's where I just worry about it, at least from the team aspect. I hope he stays healthy. Uh, but, yeah, it, his talent definitely warrants him being that guy that, whoa, I'm the now the highest paid safety in football. There's no question about that. A hold-in once again works. The only one that I really have concern about is Roquan Smith. And mm. Somebody asked me about this yesterday, and I know we're going off script again, but that's okay. Well, even if it isn't, we're going to do it. <laughs> when you play a position that does entail the car crash hits, and when you're Roquan Smith, you're someone who instigates them. 
at some point, the team's going to put their best offer on the table. And chances are, unless the team is just being egregiously unfair, that best offer is better than playing for the fifth-year option and taking your chances because you really are taking your chances when you play inside linebacker. You really are. So I think just like Derwin James, they put an offer on the table. He couldn't refuse it. Now he's got security. Now they have the injury risk. I think that's something that should happen, Yeah, should happen for the Bears and Roquan Smith, that they put an offer on the table that is fair and appropriate, and he just recognizes. You know, I've heard agents say this before. You, you get to a point where you'd like to get more, but I couldn't tell my son, my brother, that's right, to my turn nephew, that my down. cousin, that's in right. good faith to walk away from that that's because right. of the risk that they take every single day. That's right. That That's the biggest thing, and that's where the agent you know comes in handy. To you know, And a good agent will have that outlook to go, man, if this was a loved one, I'd go, let's take it. It's, it's too risky to sit here and, and not get anything as we go along. And as you and I both know, too, you know, I haven't seen the full details of the contract. I think we, it's 42, right, guaranteed at signing something around that range, or at least what I heard. So, so ultimately, I guess there is the ability that covers their CYA and the fact that it's, it's, it's a two-year, $42 million deal at first. And then if he gets hurt here in these first years, we'll see about, you know, year three and four. But he's guaranteed that for sure. And, you know, I think that covers at least the Chargers a little bit, you know, into the future. And that's one of the things, too. And I have somebody who gets me all the contracts. I defer to a full evaluation of what's really in there because things get lost in the shuffle. Reporters look the other way, so they continue to get the text message five minutes before the announcement that a deal's been done. Full guarantee at signing is the key. Signing bonus is the ultimate indicator. Signing bonus is the money that you earn just by putting your name on the dotted line. And then you look at full guarantee at signing. You look at the cash flow, and you can get a sense as to how many years really are committed when the guarantees go from injury only to full guarantee. Yeah, right. You get it a year early. You get an Ezekiel Elliott situation where the Cowboys are screwed. There's no way they'd be paying Ezekiel Elliott eight figures this year, but that guarantee vested last year when they had no choice but to keep him around. That's how you apply some of these nuances to really get a better deal for your client. So we'll see how that works. It was four years ago that Khalil Mack was trying desperately to get a new contract out of the Raiders, Raiders who maybe didn't have the cash to keep him around. So he ends up in Chicago. Now he's with the Chargers playing with Derwin James and other great players. Here he is talking with Peter King during Peter's training camp tour about playing alongside or at least on the opposite side of the line from pass rusher Joey Bosa. When you think about your defense right now, yeah. with you probably rushing from the right, Bosa rushing from the left, how do you think you complement each other, and how do you think it will be to play with him? Oh, man, it's going to be fun, man. You talk about uh, two guys that that's still learning this game and uh, want to play it at a high level. Uh, it's so much fun getting to study film with this guy, him and Giff and Chris Rump. And all the guys in the room, man, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a safe space that we can learn, and um, it's just so much fun to learn different things. Knowing, knowing what I know and him knowing what he knows, it's kind of a mix. It's a blend that's that's mixed up the right way and kind of feeding feeding off of my game a little bit too. And I kind of feel like feel feel like he's feeding a little bit off of my game as well. So it's just a good mix, man. It's a good mix of finesse and power, and we gonna we gonna we gonna, we gonna try to. 
break some records or something. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> One of the realities of this time of the year, everyone's healthy, so the expectations can go wild. And the idea of Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, fascinating. But, but Mack only played in six games last year, or seven games. He had six sacks in seven games. Joey Bosa's banged, at, banged up from time to time through the week-in and week-out grind. The idea that both of these guys are going to start 17 games is ridiculous. How many games can they both be on the field for or one or the other, and what's the total impact going to be for a Chargers team that is kind of on the cusp right now? And, yeah. And and uh, you, you, this is the final year of the Justin Herbert not getting big money phase, so you spread it around to others. You bring in Khalil Mack. You pay Derwin James. You've already paid Joey Bosa. At some point, enough of these guys got to stay healthy at the same time. And I've said this before, Chris, with the Chargers, I just wonder whether there's something deeper going on with their training methods, flexibility, nutrition, whatever, because they just seem to be more snake-bitten than other teams when it comes to injuries. But if they would ever keep their full roster healthy, if they would ever be that team that has the minimal number of games lost to injury – they're going to be in the Super Bowl yeah, if they, they could ever pull yeah. that off. They've yeah. got the talent to do it. They do. It's, it's they're, they're the team I think we all got you know circled right now to go. Team that wasn't in the playoffs, watch out. They could be in the playoffs, and not only in the playoffs, but like you're saying, make a big, deep run in there and, and maybe get to the Super Bowl. They got everything you need for sure. I'm excited about this duo. You know, Khalil Mack kind of you know referred to it. I, I think these two, you know, they're football guys. They love it. They're, they're obsessed with the game. They're both paid, so there's no ego of like, oh, man, he got paid. So, I mean, you, this, this has a chance to be, you know, modern-day sack exchange type of stuff right here with two unbelievable pass rushers right off the edge. And I think they will feed off each other. You know, one will, you know, hey, hey well, you like to do this when you see the offensive tackle, and they're going to compete in the fact of, well, he's getting more quarterback hits or sacks, and I need to raise my game up. I, I only look at it as a positive with these two. You know, being around both of them a little bit through through their careers, they're they're workers and they love the game. It's very apparent right off the bat. I'd have a hard time thinking they don't have a successful year if they can stay healthy, like you said. I think Brandon Staley's a pretty smart guy, and hopefully he's evaluated some of that and and figured out, you know a different approach maybe to their offseason to, 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 you know, get rid of some of those issues. Well, it's going to be necessary because, again, they've got the talent. They just need to keep them on the field for as much as possible, and they're in that division where any team can win it and any team can finish in fourth place. Let's do some PFT props focused on the Los Angeles Chargers. We'll start with Khalil Mack. Over under nine and a half sacks. Again, he had six sacks last year in seven games. Does he get to double digits? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to go. I'm going to go over there. You know, not that I think it's going to be like you know egregiously over, but I just I don't know. It's one of those where I just feel like, hey, it's a new defense, and there's just a new energy, and I feel like this will be a year where he bounces back. He bounces back and does stay healthy and and does get over 10, 10, 10 sacks. I, I, did, I, I will agree with you on that one, but again, it's got to be tied to health. If he can play 10 or more games, I think he can get to 10 or more sacks. How about Joey Bosa? He had 10.5 last year. Over under for him, 10.5 this year. I, I'm so going over. Under. I'm going over there, too. I am. And look, th- this is one of the rare categories where you could still hit with 10.5. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. You're right. It could be exactly on 10 and a yes, half. Yes, yes. But I'll, I'll go over, you know, for sake of the, the exercise here. You know, we, we've seen teams – I mean, last year, the Bears, if Khalil Mack stays healthy, they were going to have two guys over 10, you know, 10 sacks. Uh, if I'm, I'm, I'm trying to – Arizona, they had two guys over 10 sacks last year. The Steelers had two guys over 10 sacks last year. So it's not crazy to think that can happen easily with these two guys. And then you talk about the creativity of – Brandon Staley on the defense and whoa who we can't double team both of these guys and now they're bringing a creative blitz down the middle and and issues like that where I just think they're going to be in a lot more favorable positions than either one of them have ever been in before in their careers how about Justin Herbert last season quietly had 5,000 passing yards right. 5,014 not many guys in NFL history had done that his over under for this year is 4,600.5. Are you going over or are you going under? I'm going to go over here, too. I don't think it's going to be 5,000. I hope it's not 5,000. If it's 5,000, it means they, that, that it's just too much on Justin Herbert, in my opinion, where they, they got to have a little semblance of a run game or, or something in that, in that way to just take pressure off of them. And I don't know. I, got, I guess I gotta, I'm not sure if they're going to be capable. They've improved their offensive line. There's no doubt about it. Eckler's awesome running back, but more pass game oriented. So they're still going to be a passing football team. I'm going to go over the 4,600. I am. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I, I think that, that look, we, we've seen which way the game is going. We, we see how awesome Justin Herbert is. If he stays healthy, he's going to get over 4,600 passing yards. I mean, he could end up. He could end up leading in all the categories this year. I just think there's a chance he he explodes. What we saw week 18, that epic Sunday night game, yeah, where he just converting fourth down after fourth down, and he I just feel like he reached a higher level in that moment, and I think it carries over to this year. Great, he's, he's the be best incredible. pocket passing quarterback in football. Maybe just when you talk about just being in the pocket, people around him, and you got to throw a strike. Uh, Justin Herbert's the, the best in the game. He hits a strike almost every time. To me, he's the number one in that category. How about Keenan Allen? 1,000.5 receiving yards. That's the over-under. Last year, he did 11.38. Oh, I, I'm going over. I am. Uh, they're they're going to they're gonna be high-flying, and Keenan Allen is – you know, they got guys that can stress you on the outside, and then Keenan Allen's that bigger-type slot that can work the middle of the field – and he still can win on the outside. So, I, I mean, I would be absolutely shocked if he's not at 1,000 yards. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a low number. A lot of these numbers are low, but the reality is injuries will impact what some of these guys do, and we see what they did last year, and we le lead ourselves to think they're going to do it again. That doesn't always happen. No, Case in point, you. Mike Williams, 1146 last year. They got him down at 950.5. We're both going to be tempted to pick the over with him as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and I am going to pick the over. I am. I, I just don't look at it and go, well, I expect these guys in the offense to go backwards. You know, the only way I could see maybe it go, you know – other than health, which your point is very real there. The only other way I could see it going backwards is because their defense is better and they don't have to get in as many shootouts as they did last year. So that with all these offensive stats, that that's the only thing that I'm like, you know, a little showing a little trepidation about is just that because, hey, they, they might be able to go, hey, damn, we got up. 17-3 early, and we don't have to throw it 30 more times here in the last you know quarter and a half. We can 
we can be a little bit more conservative and run the ball and throw a screen and control the ball that way. So that, that would be the only thing that scares me, you know, despite health. I, I just – we're getting closer and closer to the point where, you know, we're required by law to make predictions for the season. This is going to be a tough season to figure out. Oh, my gosh. And I really do right. think that unlike any other before, it's going to come down to injuries – fluke plays, bounce of the ball, a bad call, and a good call. There's always a good call to go with the bad call. It's all a matter of perspective as to whether a call is bad or good. But things like that are going to make a difference more than ever this year because I just feel like, especially in the AFC, those teams are very, very tightly packed together. And they're packed no more tightly together than they are in the AFC West. We're going to do a grab bag with no geographic boundaries, no divisional constraints when we return for this Thursday edition of Pro Football Talk Live.